This is People Who Play, a show about the art of playful living. I'm Emma Warrillow, researcher, writer and part-time mermaid. And I'm Ben Martin, content creator and nostalgia junkie. Every episode we discuss family life, playtime and we interview a guest who has found a way to play at life. From creatives to educators to comedians, our aim is to inspire more grown-ups to grow down and unleash their unique play powers. If you'd like to join our play crew and find more inspiration and info on play, follow at playful underscore den on Instagram. And for all your retro feels, find me on Instagram at benflyingretro. I'm on there too, at Emma Warrillow, E-M-M-A, W-O-R-R-O-L-L-O, really. This podcast drops bi-weekly on Mondays, but if that's not enough to get your playful vibes vibing, you can also join my Patreon for £5 a month and you'll get a personal pod from me, which drops alternate Mondays. Plus, you can now watch the video interviews of our guests directly in there too. We really do appreciate all your likes, subscribes, follows and shares. These digital high fives really mean a lot to us and help us to grow the show. Okay, let's get on with the episode. It's playtime. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode with one of our lovely guests. Um, This is a really cool episode. I have been stalking slash fangirling Sophia Hilton on Instagram for some time now I think for for me I'm very curious and engaged by her because I think she really nails personal branding Um, I think she tells a really clear and concise story about herself and is really quite inspirational with how she has used creativity and storytelling and brand to just make her business unique and really stand out so let me tell you about her and before i do so i just wanted to comment that this is a real juggly week for me um i um yeah spinning lots of plates dealing with kids being ill myself having a bit of a cold and yeah i just really wanted to send a little heartfelt hug through the microphone for anyone else in similar situation like the the juggle of life and in particular the sort of life admin of just being an adult when you're thrown curveballs and emails from the school it sounds like it should just be all part of everyday life but sometimes I truly find it so so stressful and Sophia Hilton is a working mom too and this is something that we talk about in this conversation about um, being a working parent and sort of trying to carve out your own space and your own identity in the sort of flux of just challenges of having kids. Um, Sophia is a self-made entrepreneur. She has four businesses which span services, products, business development, education, mentoring and social media. You will probably know her Uh, best from Not Another, which is a hair salon, a brand um, which was launched in 2016, which really disrupted the beauty industry. Um, It was started with Not Another Salon. 
amazing amazing hairstyles i'm always going on there being like i want my hair to be more interesting uh, go and follow not another salon if you want to get some colorful hair inspo in your life um and since launching the salon a lot of the techniques there went viral the vivid colors the the press influencers it was all going on trendsetters could not get enough people so to spread the word and to share her knowledge educating people on all things not another her coloring techniques the perfect bleed, all of these like really super cool um, hair techniques. Sophia launched Not Another Academy. So she went from really honing her expertise, certainly led through her personal branding to then teaching other people how to do it. And that's what she's focusing on now, um, teaching courses all around the world, um, really captivating other hairdressers, but also I think just other business owners who aren't in the hairdresser world, like me, who has captivated Captivated by how she is storytelling and using the power of the human brand and the human story in the age of social media to really share her knowledge and her services with the world. Um, it's really, really vivid, really bold. Um, and I hope you enjoy this conversation for anyone that sort of has a little something that they would like to achieve or perhaps they want to put themselves out there more um they want to really align closer to who they are and have their identity loud and proud in the world then this is an episode for you i particularly want to draw attention to a moment in the conversation where we talk about life after kids and as i was just talking about that just like getting in the weeds of just admin can really sort of take you away from who you are I think and I think that what that's what can really happen after having children and lots of parents feel like their identity is somehow watered down or it's changed or it's forgotten or it's just very very confused and I really liked um, in this conversation how Sophia shares when she experienced that and her answer to that was to make a style mood board and that may sound like you know really cute and really kind of you know, a little bit perhaps uh, vain. Some people might interpret that, but I thought that was really smart, actually, and a great use of just fun, creative energy to take the problem, acknowledge what's going on. I'm being lost. I don't know who I am. And treating it like a little fun, creative project. Who do I want to be now that I'm in this stage of my life? What do I want that to look like? And clothes, I guess, is quite a fun um and kind of visual medium to work with but i think you could apply that to to any form of identity so i really like that part of the conversation i think it's a great idea to yeah like invest and indulge in yourself as your own identity project because if we cannot do that for ourselves how can we support doing that for our kids so i like that part of the conversation and yeah i hope that you um, enjoy this chat with the queen of colour, Sophia Hilton. Here's the interview. Sophia, thank you so much for coming and chatting to me today. I'm so excited to have this conversation. It's always really weird when you get to speak to someone that you've been following on social media for so long and it's like, oh, you're here, you're real. Um, so this is a real treat for me. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was so intrigued just by the title of what you do. I get loads of people contacting me all the time and I've never had anyone contact me from this perspective. And we were just saying here now in the studio, like I'm, I'm like really intrigued by your conversation. So brilliant. Yeah. Well, you're, you're such an ideal 
uh, quote unquote subject for this podcast, because I like to talk to people who I think are playing at life in some way and who are very in touch with their inner child and really know the value of qualities like creativity, using your imagination, seeking joy, all those sorts of things. And that really comes through in your values, in your work, in your personal style, and you kind of ooze individuality. And it sort of, yeah, it sort of runs through everything that that you do. And I'd really like to just go straight to um, your childhood and how you played as a child. Um, I'm really curious about the sort of play activities people engaged with when they were younger and if they see how they have kind of laddered through to adulthood. Yeah, uh, what a great place to start. Um, making stuff, mm. like to really make things with my hands. And I, I remember being very frustrated as a child because I wasn't particularly good at drawing or painting. I, well, I didn't notice that maybe under 11, but by the time you get to high school, they want you to yeah. be you know actually good at it and I don't remember being particularly good at it but I knew I was really arty and creative so I was definitely always at my best when I was from really young it was toilet rolls and creating houses and stuff and then as I got into my teens it was um altering clothes cutting up jeans shredding things making little corsets so like always building and working with my hands is probably my earliest memories a lot of role play I loved acting so I definitely remember role play always being a part of it um, and creating little worlds. I was probably quite a bossy little kid, actually. <laughs> um, or leader, we should say. Yeah, yeah <laughs> let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were definitely call bossy at that age, right? Yeah. You weren't a potential leader when you were nine. No. <laughs> you were the now. Um, yeah, I, I guess I've got some early memories of them. Um, creating things in my garden and and trying to like recruit all these people to do this fantasy that I had created and try and bring people on with that journey um so it is funny when you reflect on it that way actually you're like oh okay that makes sense (laughs) yeah so sort of being able to like make things and I suppose learning to put your ideas into action was something that you had fun with in childhood it's interesting to hear you talk about how that kind of at some point flips into are you good at art or not I had quite a similar experience like hyper creativity but then got to sort of secondary school and clearly had no drawing skills and this this sort of general skill set of creativity which can't necessarily show up in like a polished tangible place you know, back when I was at school in the 90s, no one really knew how to, no one really knew what to do with that. It was like, yeah, you know, you're a bit quirky, but you're not really that good at art. So don't pursue those subjects. Yeah, I think it was a real disappointment that I couldn't technically do what they wanted me to do. And now obviously with like a better knowledge about creativity, I don't judge myself so heavily, but yeah, it definitely was a time where you were judged on that, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? And I think the education system is still like that. It's not proactive with creativity. It's kind of rote learning, you know, finding the right answer. And I do get worried because we live in a world that needs so much creativity. We really need people that can imagine in different ways, because if you can't imagine in different ways, you can't 
make a change in the first place. And I do get worried about that gap um, with creativity and in the sort of education system, which just is increasingly feeling archaic. I know that you have um, a son and a child. Is that something that you um, is important to you as in, in your experiences of motherhood? In bringing up my son, like art and creativity is like top of my priority list. Like one, because I enjoy it. And I try to do things with my son that I enjoy because then I'm more actually engaged. And I feel like your kids can feel when you're faking it. And I know with my own experience with my mom, um, not that she did anything wrong, but if she was disengaged, it was very disheartening. And I, it's not that I won't do things with him that he wants to do, because of course, when he shows an interest, I need to follow that. But at this point where he's just, he's just experimenting with what he likes, I do lead it down an avenue that I like, because the more things we have that bond us together, the better. And I am quite proud of myself that I, I started doing artistic things with him really young, um, making things, painting, whatever. And I, I, you must remember this, it's so bloody frustrating. Like, you know, they do it for 30 seconds yeah. and then walk <laughs> up and you just got mess everywhere. And it was really disheartening, this vision that I had of playing with my child that never was a reality. But I kept doing it and I kept doing it, especially with a, him being a boy and he's quite active. Um, he didn't really want to do it. But we kept doing it and doing it really gently. And a lot of my friends have said with their boys and uh, that they won't that they won't they won't do it. Like they're not interested. And one of my friends really kindly, she said, I think it was really good that you had the patience to keep going, even after he he wasn't interested, because we pushed past that. And now he's like really into drawing and making and stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy that we kind of got over that together. But you know, there's this oh I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but I think that's so that's such a good insight. And I try not to sort of lump boys and girls into certain associations, but one of the reasons why they can tend to have different interests is through how we support them in those interests. And you're right. I mean, I have two boys. One is now 12 and one is two. And when my eldest was younger, I was just like so frustrated that he wouldn't like connect with any of these kind of like creative play activities and it's sort of that decision you have to make it's like am I forcing this <laughs> or you know is it just like persistence that he needs a little bit longer to figure out how to kind of do it in his own way and I found that with both of the boys whereas my girl I think girls maybe can concentrate a little bit earlier um, and it does require a little bit of that sort of like focus flow to kind of get into some of those activities but I think that is really good insight for anyone that's got boys and thinks they're just not interested in like that way of playing but actually keep at it keep trying um keep giving it a go um and 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 it does it is a skill um and you have to sort of build it up so I think that's really really useful to hear your experience of that actually I actually um I created like a, I don't have a, a big place in London but I created a wall where it's it it's basically what it's it's my dream it's just the the kind of ikea wall with all the little pots and all the little <laughs> stuff and i've got everything like everything you can possibly want we have everything and when my mum came into the house she looked at the wall it was quite a sweet moment and she looked at it and she went this is what you always wanted wasn't it and i said yeah and she was like yeah sorry about that and it, 
it's not that she, I mean, she was really arty with me and she did loads of things with me, but it was this little realisation that I'm, I was always craving this like little art room, this little craft room. I was always trying to make it happen. And it was like this little realisation from my mum of like, oh, I, I probably should have done that for you because clearly you've been craving that for the last 30 years. Um, but anyway, look, you get to be an adult and you get to, it doesn't have to end here. I guess this is what your podcast is about. It doesn't have to end. Totally. Yeah. And I, I did go into creative industries. I went into sort of marketing and brand strategy and I get to be creative all the time, but I always often describe myself as an artist with no technical skill. And then recently I was like, I got to walk the talk a bit more. So I start at art uh, college in October. So I'm starting an expressionist um, painting course, which I've never done before. And I'm so excited I'm gonna like clear the garage out and just put paint in water pistols and go a bit nuts in there and yeah I'm I'm very very excited about it um can I ask you a little bit about your business and your salon and there's loads of things that intrigue me about how you've created your brand and the the sort of um different like customer touch points around your brand but but perhaps you could tell me a little bit about your journey into hairdressing first of all and and kind of your experience before you created your brand um I knew I wanted to go into an artistic career but I also had academic abilities and because I'm from a family that don't have a lot of academic abilities the fact that I had slightly enough to get into uni my parents are like you know you know, trying to push me towards what they would say, you know, a better life. Um, but I never wanted to be a hairdresser at all. I didn't I didn't see an interest in it. Um, it just looked really boring. My mum was doing shampoo and sets all day. It didn't look very creative. Um, but nevertheless, the odd little shopping trip to Manchester and seeing a Tonian guy with a cool girl with a mullet and, you know, a little sling bag with the, the pouches. <laughs> was on. I was like, oh, my God, these girls are so cool. Um, and it was the 90s when, the you know, the girls looked like that. And and um, it inspired me thinking, oh, wow, this could be really fun and creative and stuff. But before then, I'd not I'd not seen that. I went to sixth form and I, I did business, um, um, media, textiles. And it was funny. I was just thinking about it when you were speaking. It, uh, when I did business at, at school, well, at college, I actually thought this is how I imagined the business class going, that they'd say, right. Pretend to make your own sweet shop. <laughs> Design the front. Uh, you know, what do the jars look like? And like, what kind of, what are you going to sell? And what would the girls wear? And these are all the things that were really important to me. But except I was sat there with like depreciation sheets and learning about like. learn, <laughs> And it was more of like a corporate world that I was yeah. learning all about like you know shares and stocks and I was like oh this was not my vision because when I envision having a business I envision what the girls are wearing behind the behind the counter so like my very childlike thought of what business was was not really what they were selling and I was like oh I don't want to do this and obviously interestingly enough when I came to have my own business as I'm sure you've seen my business does have like quite a childlike nature to it yeah. um so to give you an insight, the hairdressing industry, this is my perception. And this is the same with many industries. Because the, because our industry has never been seen as, you know, it's not non-academic, it's not high-end, not particularly well-paid. You go into hairdressing when you're not good at anything else. I feel like in the last 40 years, what my industry tried to do is over-professionalize it. They tried to make it like 
I'm a scientist. So if you see the adverts on telly, they're wearing white coats. And for Pantene, it's all about the technology, you know, uh, and, you know, professional hairdressers say this. And what they what all salons tried to do is they made it really over professional to say we are professionals. I believe what I came in to do in the industry was go, actually, I think we can be shit hot and we can wear a glittery skirt while we do it or we can throw glitter cannon in the air or we can have a ding dong bell when people leave or I can serve jammy dodges instead of Ferrero Rochers and that's okay um it was a big turning point for our industry and in the last seven years I have seen masses of salons with more personality more color more energy and a and a real lowering of what we knew as professionalism yeah and the things that people put out on Instagram they never would have put out before and I love that I love that people can say, no, I can be really good at my job without pretending to be someone I'm not. Yeah, well, that's that's a massive subject that I love to talk about is how professionalism over professionalism squashes play in the workplace and this idea of like how we're meant to perform in certain industries and certain work environments strips people of their personality it it doesn't allow them to play at work and therefore everything just becomes a bit sterile and a bit and a bit gray Um, and I think you're absolutely right and you capture it within your brand by really evoking that spirit of the inner child so it lends itself so well to that but yeah I really can see that change now you've said it in the hairdressing industry of everything yeah becoming very very white coat very sciencey whereas for me like I think I read in the profiles of of one of your team on your website actually just now that they were speaking about um, aligning the inside and the outside like that is what going to the hairdressers is for me um and that's got nothing to do really with science or (laughs) it's about the experience and it's about sort of having that time for yourself I wondered um yeah if I could ask you a bit about that actually and like the relationship that people have with their hair because I just had a haircut um and I just had a full head bleach and I feel like for years um I've sort of hairdressers have been persuading me not to have a full head bleach because it's quite I guess it's quite extreme you have to like up keep the roots are quite harsh all that blah 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 um but now I've had it done I just feel so much more like myself um and because the sort of the extremeness and the brightness and the is very much my personality and yeah I don't know what your thoughts are on that like this sort of idea of yeah like aligning the outside with the inside and how we how we do that and how do we get close to that and the impact it can have on people well um I've been teaching for L'Oreal for like over 10 years and um one thing that L'Oreal teaches I actually I actually teach as what you call a guest artist not as one of their key educators which means I don't have to teach their way yeah (laughs) my way I'm full part of them uh but one of the things I love that L'Oreal teaches is there's a difference in a a whisper a talk and a shout client (laughs) so what kind of impact are they wanting to make on their environment and that Mm. side what sort of techniques you're using and what you're actually describing right now is a shout technique a scalp bleach is a shout client you want to make impact you want to be stronger whereas a talk client something a little bit lower might be a highlight 
Oh, and okay. The client might be, you know, a little brown semi over the top, just not too different to who she is. You know? Yeah, I want to be so like a, a the kind of thing bitch that with my hair. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you're describing is that feeling of making more impact and maybe that mm. feeling of you. Mm. you know? it feels yeah, stronger. definitely. Stronger. I agree. But it's quite interesting that I obviously haven't been able to communicate that strongly enough um, in the salons, whereas I had a different I had a different hairstyle this time, a different stylist this time. And she was just like on it and just really sort of got it. And it was just so transformational. Um, one of the things I also read about how you sort of design the interiors and the sort of vibe of your salon um, to evoke that feeling of the inner child was to remind people of a time when they had like just didn't give as many shits about like how they looked and were very free with that could you talk a little bit to to your vision around that yeah there was this idea of regressing yourself back to your childhood at a time where you could feel freer I mean we got we got described as like an adult Disneyland with like expressions like that um yeah I think especially where we are in London there's so much about keeping up with appearances and trying to be someone or trying to, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Trying to be someone, I guess. And when you come into a salon that charges 350 pounds for your hair, but they give you a ice lolly flavored tea and a jammy dodger or a wagon wheel, suddenly you don't feel like you need to pretend anymore. Mm. You can just say, Oh, do you know what? I do love a pink wafer, you know. <laughs> I mean, we serve, we serve like Robinsons, like Ribena and Vimto, and we do Coke floats and things you remember from your childhood. So for me, it's about just removing that, like, who we're trying to be mm. in the workplace or in our lives and actually going, oh, it's okay. Yeah. I prefer a Vimto than... Yeah. <laughs> double latte hold the soy blah 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 that we've turned into as an adult yes yeah I love that and what effect does that have on people what do you observe from their experiences of coming in a big percentage of our client base has um mental health issues they're neurodivergent um they're often too nervous to go into other salon environments maybe they feel they don't fit in in other places it could be to do with weight or so many different things um, and by just creating that kind of fun, silly, low professional in the normal sense environment, you really take a weight off their shoulders. Mm. They can just be. And, you know, we swear on the shop floor and we don't mind that. My receptionist will root in my bag in the office and put on one of my dresses. He's a guy. And he'll run through the salon with a pretend microphone and have a little bit of fun for five minutes and you think jesus christ you know there's another woman paying 550 pounds and she just had a conversation interrupted by a guy running around <laughs> in a dress with a pretend microphone but actually it's just showing them it's okay just yeah be free. yeah as our main thing in the salon is that if we feel a client is uncomfortable if they're not number one in that scenario we tone down because it's yeah. very important that they are number one. So, for example, if we're having a bit of banter in the salon and it's going really well and we're all being silly and it's all getting a bit crazy, but we notice that client really tuning down, we notice her disengaging, we all tune down. Yes. Yeah. So although we're silly and fun, we also have our heads screwed on. Yeah. We're taking care of 
people individually. Yeah. I'd love to um, ask you a little bit about your leadership journey, because I know since um, following you, I I think you got to that point with your business where you got to start handing it over a little bit more. And I know that you have, um, you you went away, you went to Ibiza, you've just been um, traveling to Madagascar, I think. And you sort of get to that stage. And, you know, I remember this, I um, built an agency, my previous role, you get to that point where you have to start to yeah, really sort of work on the business, not in the business and be able to kind of like, just hand over and get the right people in place. What was that experience like for you and probably still is for you how how did you recognize that it was sort of time for that evolution and 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 how and and what what was it like oh I think I've always been quite a good delegator actually and that's always whenever someone says that it's like a comedy line it's not a comedy line it's like it's true but I I do really trust people in areas I, I I learned the line that the people at the bottom have all the information, but none of the power. And the people at the top have all of the power and none of the information. Mm. And which to me says that if a junior comes to me and says, oh, I think the cleaning rotor is the wrong way around. And they just start to explain it to me. I'm like, you really don't need to tell me. Just do what you think you need to do. You're an intelligent person. (laughs) If you've seen something I haven't seen, you can do that. It's the same with my manager. Uh, the way our the way our um, relationship works is that he will come to me, and ninety percent of what he recommends, I will say yes to. Yeah. So he'll say, "What do you think of this?" And I'll go, well, "What do you think of it?" And because he's in it and I'm not in it, he'll say, "I think this is and this." And I go, "Okay, in my experience, might not work. Here's some other ideas." Or nine percent of the time, I'll just say, "Yeah, let's do it." So I've been very, very good at that. I've been bitten by that before. Yeah. has always worked for me um, in the way that there's a little short period where uh, I became the bad guy <laughs> um, and that kind of like letting go too much wasn't the best. Yeah. Um, but in general, I would say in general, it's really works best to trust people at what they know and what they're good at. Yeah. And I think as you, as you, what you speak to there is sort of building a culture where people are solution orientated rather than problem identifiers that's a massive switch if you can get a culture where people feel empowered and are able to use their own creativity to suggest what the solutions are that is like half the job done um I think it's where you've just got a culture where people are really really good at identifying problems but waiting for someone else to sort them out that's that's really difficult um don't you yeah you do build that culture so um yeah yeah I think I think that's for the best yeah 100 percent um one of the things I love about following you is um your relationship updates and how you speak about co-parenting and about your partner and you share so honestly about just how having a long-term relationship is a constant um just a constant thing that you have to keep feeding and paying attention to and it's so it's so hard like we have um three children my husband is awesome I also have a big tall strapping long-haired man myself um and he um we co-parent really well but it's always the thing that is at the bottom of the to-do list it's like I want to spend 
you know, good quality time as a family. I want to have one-on-one time with the kids. I want to do my own thing and like have my own play and my own um, joy. And then that always feels to come um, to come at the bottom of the list. I wondered if, um, yeah, you could share a few a few thoughts and experiences on how you guys how you guys do it and the reality of yeah the fact that it is it is work to stay in a healthy long-term relationship yeah it is work and I think it's healthy to say that yeah I don't know sometimes it's like breaking the cycle so if you're not doing things very often I think you really get out of the habit of it whereas the more you're doing it the more you're you're engaged and you want to so rather than it being like oh shit we really should go on a date at some point blah blah if you have them booked in and you're doing it regularly you're like getting excited and looking forward to it I don't know for me it's a bit like sex if I'm not really having sex I'm not missing it but the more sex I'm having the more I want (laughs) so like it's actually like making sure that I'm doing that I'm I'm doing more of it and valuing it. I mean, I think you've got your work cut out with three kids and you wanting to spend time with them individually. Jesus Christ, like I think that's amazing. Um we had separate holidays this year. We've never done that before. And it yeah. was it was amazing. Yeah. So I went for a snorkeling and reading holiday with my daughter to Crete and my husband took our eldest to LA for a skateboarding holiday. And it was like amazing because yeah, we both had these different experiences. We had something new to talk about. We're very much like not not wedded to that idea of like having to spend every moment, all of us together. I think there's a lot of like romanticizing that goes on about family time. And actually, you know, there's five of us and yes, there's potential for big fun, but the reality is there's more potential for tension and <laughs> things to go wrong as well. I, admit, I mean, uh, my husband was supposed to be coming with me to Madagascar And then he ended up, he plays lacrosse for Scotland and he ended up having a big game and he couldn't come. And I was no way disappointed. Like the idea of me having a trip with my son and really focusing on him was like the best. I was like, and I said to him, honestly, I'm like, I'm not sad you're not coming. Like I I actually really want to be alone and I want to be with my kid. But um, yeah, I do think coming back to your question that, um, that we just have to force to make sure that we book things in and do things together. But of course we end up talking about children and business. It's like, I don't know what else to talk about. I think that's the thing. You get to a certain age and it sounds so boring, but if you do not schedule in fun, it just doesn't happen. (laughs) And the two things feel quite contradictory because I think up until a certain point in life, fun does happen quite spontaneously and so does play and you can kind of find time for it but when you've got a kid and you've got a career and you know life is quite full if you do not take your fun seriously just doesn't happen no I really spontaneity is one of the main things I miss in my life I really struggle with it all the time I get quite upset about it that there's just no it's just not that level of freedom it's got to get home to do bedtime got to do that got to do that not not just like oh do you fancy I don't know my life's still pretty spontaneous but for someone that has what I have in life but I I don't know I just I I miss that version yeah but yeah yeah same I do as well I think about there was quite a period of time where I did a lot of traveling and I just sometimes want to go back and hang out with her (laughs) and you know she could just go anywhere and um you know all over by myself and yeah it's you know, but it's sort of radical acceptance is something that I'm quite a big embracer of. Um, and, you know, you just got to sort of radically accept what you've got and um, 
try and sort of make make the most of it um, and get those feelings of spontaneity, <laughs> try and manufacture them um, a little bit more when you can. Um, I know, Sophia, that you um, have a really strong look and personal style. Um, when a lot of women have children, I think from my experience of sort of talking to a lot of mothers in particular, um, they can really struggle with a loss of identity and like not even knowing what clothes they like, obviously body changes, feeling um, like they slip into a kind of like a mum uniform. Clearly that has not happened to you. <laughs> and what, what are you, how, how have you, how have you avoided that? Is that just inherent in your personality or has that also been yeah. something that Honestly, you... I had such a big freak out. I had the, I had the exact typical by the book, who am I, not even long after Hendrix was born, like two months after Hendrix was born, and I literally, I was saying to Paul, like, I had to make a mood board of what new Sophia looked like and what she was going to wear. And I'd never done that before. Normally, I just casually, like, oh, I pick up some yeah. clothes like this. But like, it was so, it was so natural for me before then. I was enjoying playing yeah. with my style. But after the kid, I really had this big identity crisis. Yeah. And if I look back at my mood boards, actually, that I made straight after Hendrix, I would not wear that at all. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, gone with that. And actually, I feel like I'm actually having that again now. Mm-hmm. The outfit I'm wearing today is the only outfit I currently feel 100% myself in. I'm looking at my entire wardrobe and I I, um, I said to my husband, I just want to throw it all away and start again because I feel like I'm growing as a person mm. and the clothes are like representing, they're not representing the growth of me. Yeah. Um, so I think don't definitely don't look at me and think oh like that was super easy I definitely intentionally did that and I must thank my best friend for it before she goes shopping she actually makes herself a little Pinterest board so she so she doesn't spend too much money and that's you know and I think that's a really good idea because I love buying key items I'll buy a ridiculous jacket and some of these shoes and whatever and then I have nothing to put with it yeah a bit haphazard and then like you say you, you you're kind of looking at yourself and you don't feel the way you used to feel and nothing feels as easy as it was so um I think shopping with intent even getting a stylist like I've I've advised loads of my friends just take the money for yourself and get yourself a stylist how you look makes such a difference to how you feel and it's playful yeah playful to dress yourself up yeah personally for me you probably notice I've got like a new style every every day it's like I've got punky Sophia and then I've got you know formal Sophia and then I've got playful Sophia and and uh, it really helps me express like mm. how link. Um, so uh, yeah, I play and clothes are like so important to me. Yeah, you and, I like fancy dress. So <laughs> and you said that um, you like doing a lot of role play when you were a kid. Yes, I still I like that. <laughs> exactly, and that's <laughs> it's, this is just adult role play. Just carry yeah. carry it on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, um, I- it's interesting that you went straight to doing that mood board and identified it as something that needed your attention. And I think that's that's the missing part for a lot of people. It's like, oh, it shouldn't it shouldn't feel imp- you know it shouldn't feel important, or it almost like feels indulgent to recognise that this style doesn't cut it for me anymore. But I think I think that is part of like tuning into your playfulness and creativity. And we've mentioned it already like taking the fun seriously like taking those things seriously like having intent about them because they do matter um and they do change the way that we feel so what what do you think 
made you go oh I need to make the mood board because a lot of people don't they would just like sail through and they'll just sit in the kind of confusion and not knowing what to do so I'm just curious like how how the creative spark drives you to act to action yeah what a good question well this wouldn't be the answer for most people but social media is a big part of how I make money now I don't make money from um affiliate links and you know click to ASOS and stuff like that but what I do do is I connect to an audience for a long period of time and then occasionally I'm selling something yeah education or a course or whatever um and it's that long-term trust that you know keeps people engaged um originally my Instagram was mainly hair me doing a hair show me doing clients and after I had Hendrix I quit clients I quit hair and I had nothing on my Instagram nothing all I had was me in my pajamas with my baby and at the time it was actually more of um a business strategy of like how do I keep this um uh, in, how do I keep this audience engaged and what is it that I can share with people so it was sharing my new clothes or shopping or what I was doing um, and that is really important when you build a life around social media is because I remember saying listen I remember saying to my friend what the fuck am I going to put on social media I am literally a woman in her pajamas with a baby <laughs> like, I don't do anything now I do nothing exciting I'm breastfeeding like and then she was amazing. She was like, she knew I started to do this thing called um, Today's Vibes. It was a little hashtag. I put a little outfit on and I did Today's Vibes and I'd usually hold my baby. And she was like, I love that. She was like, why don't we just see what Today's Vibes is? So like once or twice a week, I would just do Today's Vibes and I'd try out some new clothes. And it actually really inspired me to like enjoy the process of getting ready and stuff like that. Um so yeah, it's not the normal answer, but it's my answer. <laughs> but I love that. It's like, it's to make it a little project, make it a little project, a little creative project. It doesn't need to put any pressure on it. And today's vibes is really nice, isn't it? Because it's very pressure free. It's not, um, it's not kind of trying to be a particular type of thing. And it is going back to that aligning the inside and the outside. Like these are my vibes today. Hi. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to like sell the outfit. Or yeah, it yeah. You know, here yeah. I am. But I think that's that's maybe what's happening there is you're sort of craving craving something and you found the right um almost like the right vehicle to express that. So when I had um my first child, I wrote a blog, but it was all observational comedy. It was like me trying to get on a bus with the buggy the first time. And I would, you know, obviously like exaggerate it. Um, and it was all writing for humor. And I think that's because I um, I grew up in the Midlands and there's like a real sort of um, style of like humor and banter up there. And it's like so important to me. And I think I was genuinely fearful because, you know, when you do have a baby, it is really serious. And it's like, oh my God, like you got to learn all this stuff. And I think I was craving humor. So I found the vehicle to to express that and to keep it going. And I think maybe that's like a nice insight there. It's like, what are those little urges that you, you know, you're worried about missing or, you know, you want to keep hold of and finding the right little project to, to play with them in. I was just trying to think another reason for that, I think is as well that I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's just the way I was brought up. My mum, my mum would say like, if I was having a bad day, even as like a mid teen, she'd be like, oh sweetheart, just go and pop some mascara on. You know, like it was just a thing. <laughs> like, 
pair of heels on, put some mascara on, like dress yourself up. But and which is weird because my mum was a person that like like six and a half days of the week would just be like super scruffy, hair tied on top of her head, no makeup, whatever. But when she wanted to like feel good about herself, she could transform. My mom was like absolutely amazing at transforming herself. She was so beautiful, but she could just switch it on. She was comfortable in her own skin. Yeah. She when she needed to feel better. Mm. She and I think I just learned that from my mom was like, you know, I'd always say to people in the salon, you know, if I'm having a bad day, cause I come, I come in like even more dressed up. <laughs> because I'm like right you know I don't know it, it just it does make me feel better yeah that's I love that that's really fun and it, that is playing with us playing with expression playing with identity and how you want to kind of show up in the world um that's really really interesting have you were you kind of um raised to be an individual because obviously you are seem to be very confident with expressing your individuality um is that something you were raised to do like at school were you comfortable being an individual how how did all that work out for you when you were growing up my my parents were really good at like pushing me to be myself um I'd say my mum is more on the glam side so she did like my blonde hair and some freshly applied makeup and a little bit more girly my dad wanted me to be more punky more weird he was always pushing me to be different he would say don't be a sheep and then we'd bar like mad like <laughs> And um, so I think I got both, right? Like I, I got the glam mm. side, but I got the the unique side. Um, going to high school, that didn't really work out very well because I was either called a bimbo or a weirdo. So I kind of got it from both sides. Um, I really struggled to be unique growing up. Um, but I'm so grateful to my parents for pushing that and and telling me to to stick to my guns and be myself because it's made me who I am. But mm oh that high school bit's tough yeah it is it is and it's it's interesting because one of the questions I get asked quite a lot um because I have boys with long hair and you know a little bit alternative and one of the one of the questions that comes up a lot is I have the question is I have a child and they're into something that's like maybe not mainstream I don't know whether to uh whether it's easier to just kind of like encourage them to fit in for an easier life or to sort of you know really kind of draw upon this this unique thing and my answer is always the same it's like you've got to play the long game like in the short term yeah it probably is easier to just be like everyone else and you know you have to acknowledge that there might be some repercussions to that um that you're going to have to show up and support but suppressing like individuality suppressing things that are like really important to you just because they're different I think is always going to rear its ugly head somewhere later in life I don't know what your thoughts have been on that since becoming yeah, a mum at one point um when I was getting really badly bullied at school I'm talking like I got egged and smashed over head with a brick and like heavy stuff and I live with my dad at the time and my dad was getting more anxious and more upset. And it was just so difficult to watch yeah. go through that. And I was terrible. Like if they picked on me for wearing heels, I'd get my pocket money going to town that night and buy higher heels. If they thought my hair was too blonde, I'd whack it blonder. Like it didn't, whatever they said, I just kept making it worse. That was my way of taking control. Mm. And I remember this, my dad could see me doing it. He could see me provoking this behavior. Yeah. And I remember my dad just like, like tears in his eyes like 
crying like maybe you just need yeah. to be normal for a bit and it was the one time that my I'm getting upset now it was the one time that my dad has ever said just please be normal because he just wanted to protect me yeah always encouraged me to be different and he just he just couldn't cope with Enough. the back yeah and that, that was tough yeah and and did you no. <laughs> no, no, I kept being myself and I got more and more, more and more bored for it. But do you know, I get the most beautiful messages from people from high school now saying things like, I never truly understood how hard it must have been for you to keep being yourself, but you never stopped. And I, mm. it's really nice for like to be seen. I feel like these people have seen me, but later. Yeah. And, they tell me that, and I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for recognizing that kind of digging my heels in the sand. It probably caused me a lot more pain, but I'm kind of proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what do you think the consequences of sort of shrinking back might have been to become more palatable to, to those bullies at school? It's hard one to, to sort yeah. of think about, but. I think if I shrunk back and I, I wasn't so weird at school, I probably would have had less trauma. But it is that trauma that's been the amazing driving force to to have the company that I have today that helps so many thousands of people be that in person or online. I would never take it back. Mm. Take it back. Mm. Everything was this method, right? Are you instilling? Because how old is Hendrix? He's still quite little. He's four, yeah. So I'm just, I'm assuming that you are um, very passionate about raising him to be an individual. How how are you doing that? Like, do you have um, particular like style or sort of things that you say and do with him? Um, the hair question is very good, isn't it? When it comes to the boys like you, so. We grew Hendrix's hair because we basically decided he was going to have a bowl cut and mullet or long hair. Like he had to have something <laughs> cool. And we went for long hair. Daddy's got long hair. We love it. But of course, I'm sure you've come across this. He gets called a girl all the time. Yeah. He gets misgendered all the time. Yeah. Never bothered him. And it certainly doesn't bother me. Um, because does it matter whether you're a girl or a boy? It doesn't bother me. But it has started to matter to him. Yeah. And he's so pretty in the face and yeah. he is girly looking um that it started to upset him and I think what you have to make the decision of is this it's yes I want my child to have longer hair because I think a boy should be able to have long hair however I obviously don't live in that world and my child shouldn't be my political statement yeah and if it's harming my child then then sometimes we are going to have to curve and we're going to have to follow society slightly because you don't need to cause your child unnecessary trauma yeah. just because you want to prove a point um which is why and i haven't really said this honestly online yet but we shaved the side of his head and we didn't do that just because it was cool we did it because it made him look a bit more like a boy he doesn't know that by the way i wouldn't tell him that we did it to him we did it because it's cool but it's because i wanted to reduce the amount he was misgendered and if he wants his hair cut then we're going to cut it because it's the child's emotions first. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, I think that's bang on. Um, it's interesting because he's at that sort of developmental stage where you become very aware of boys of boys and girls and you pick, start to pick up a lot of messages around gender. My son, actually both of them, have never were never called boys. They are always called 
girls and very similar like never used to bother phoenix and then it got to a certain age and he was just he was just really i think just really frustrated at people's just like assumptions and he always kept his hair he still has long hair he actually wants to grow it way way longer at the moment um (laughs) and yeah he's so proud of his he has uh, curly long hair and he's so proud of his hair and he he's sort of like taking it almost like as his little mission to um to sort of you know not show people up but to just sort of make make that point and I mean it's everyone it's teachers it's father Christmases um it's it's pretty crazy and it's been a really interesting journey with that just for us in terms of like conversations and how we yeah how we kind of make assumptions about people and like the the irrelevance of gender um but how it is bought into everything so we have so he's 12 now so we've really sort of come through all of that and yeah it's certainly been a good experience um and yeah it's like a really important part of his identity now it's annoying though because i i don't bring him up gender neutral someone once said online sophia brings up her child gender neutral i don't he's a boy yeah it's just that i i don't buy into the fact that you can't wear a pink t-shirt that's it that's yeah. some, not more it's no more than that but i will do things like for example i mean it annoys me a little bit that when he does come home and say these things it's someone else's parents that have taught the kids that, that he's now yeah. teaching my kid that. So I'm yeah. kind of stuff at the other parent, right? So we'll, we'll be with some kids. We were with some kids last week and he's like sharing some stuff out with the children and there was a little girl there and he was like, oh, Emily will have that one because it was the pink one. I said, oh, why, why can't Emily have that one? It's the pink one. I know it's the pink one, but why can't Emily have that one? Well, because it's pink. I said, I know, but why can't she have that? You know, I will always push it. I won't allow him to just yeah. give that pink yeah. toy. Why don't you let Emily pick whatever toy she wants? She might not want that toy, you know, and and I, I will always push that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, he likes cars. He's super, he's a super rough and tumble kid. Um, you know, he so there is a there's there's a certain parts of gender that is that is real, boys. Yeah. And That's also like you, you, you do you do have to follow up on those things because you don't have to expose them to any of the like quote-unquote boy stuff because they just show up naturally but I think it is important that yeah we point those things out and we bring in the arts play and the creativity and the like different colors and all that sort of stuff I think if you want to yeah for for us as parents kind of raising the future and equality and having like more men in the world that are kind of more compassionate and all of that sort of stuff it's like yeah you you have to point those things out whereas the other stuff you know like my two and a half year old is just obsessed with diggers and it's like I've never got him into diggers it's just like you know so I don't need to do anything around cars and vehicles but I do bring in dolls and other stuff to to balance it out completely made up completely made up yeah nothing we're not humanly brought to tune into one color more than the other that bit's bullshit but uh, you know lads being more into vehicles i think is is absolutely factual like i don't i i never push my kid into vehicles <laughs> i love them you know um, yeah it's, it's yeah. crazy yeah absolutely loves the digger he, bin day it's his favorite day right out there on the drive waiting for the bin truck to come <laughs> you know what i think it's really about i'm pretty sure that my kid 
um, is, uh, you know, will not pretty sure, but I don't know. But the likelihood is my son will remain my son forever. Okay, the the the, the chances that he will want to transition or be non-binary is is lower, right? Because that's minority, and it's quite likely he's going to be a straight lad, right? But not necessarily. But what the reason why I'm teaching them these stuff, I think people think it's because I'm like encouraging that behavior. It's more that if he has a mate, yeah, school, <laughs> yeah, wants to wear a freaking tutu or wants to be non-binary, or you know, um, expresses themselves as non-binary or whatever, I want him to be able to hold that conversation with yeah. a with a classmate in a really mature way, even if it doesn't involve him personally, you know yeah 100 percent. be the ally yeah. yeah yeah it's really important and and you know that for their generation you know when they go into adulthood and into the workplace they are going to come across so much more diversity and you know if you're not teaching this stuff and not helping them to have tools and the conversations then you know they're not they're not going to be able to take advantage quite frankly of what brilliant stuff comes with working and collaborating and making friends with people that are really different to you um yeah so super important um i wondered if we could just finish with like what what is next for you like you have built this amazing online personal brand you've got your bricks and mortars salon your online courses what what sort of what is the the Sophia vision for what's coming up I'm for you in the future? Next year, I I've been planning this now for a few years, but next year I am moving solely into the business key, key business keynote speaker area of the market. So um, I'm going on tour around the world. I'm doing talks on um, generational issues that we have in the workplace. Um, around managing people from different age groups and what that means, uh, talking about workplace toxicity, um, branding, personal branding, how to brand yourself, organization, people management, like a massive variety. So I'd love to give you some links to put under here because the biggest thing I'm doing next year is I'm going on tour across the UK um, and taking a course um, to Scotland, Ireland, and London and online that is all about people management and organization. Um, it really makes me tick, but predominantly it's for creative people. It's for people that work really visually and to bring it back to play, that's what I'm good at. I'm good at taking something really complicated and making it childlike. In yeah. fact, in my color courses, we always say, um that this is like a degree in primary school version because we make everything in shapes and pops of color and um and that's what I'm going to do in business I'm going to help people take something that they find maybe a bit too academic a bit too complicated and I'm going to make it really simplified and easy to digest and I've been wanting to do this for years that's so cool that's really I'm exciting and yeah I've been an educator for 10 years right so I, I've, I've been learning how to get any complex subject into a simple format but this is the format that excites me the most that's very exciting and we know that we all learn through play when we can engage our childlike wonder and make something fun that is how we learn best and I'm sure you will absolutely nail that because that is um, what you do so well. So we wish you lots of luck with that. We'll put all the links in our um, show notes. And yeah, how exciting. Thank you so much. This was such a refreshing conversation. So nice to do something 
from a completely different angle you've got a really awesome niche here I really have oh thank you so much and thank you for your for your time this has been a real treat to chat to you all right darling speak soon Bye.